0: <laughs> the strongest animal on earth you can't bring it on the bus or trains with you it's against the law <laughs> do you know what the highest IQ recorded was I think number three
1: on that list is the uh, dogs playing poker on black velvet
0: what do toilet paper and the Star Trek Enterprise have in common What
1: is the longest-running TV show in American history? Hoopy, 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 hoopy! Hello, everyone. It's time for You Got It, Smart Drivel. This is your co-host, Kurt Schneider, and I'm here with...
0: John Ellenthal. Hello, everybody.
1: Hi, Kurt. Hello, everyone. John, I am the happiest, craziest, and most insanest
0: person alive today. Well, that means you live in modern times because you just described yourself in superlatives only. And we live in a world these days where everything is the most, the best, the biggest, the smallest, the most expensive. And that's just the nature of life today. So, Kurt, what do you say we dig into the world of superlatives by talking about some of the smallest, biggest, fastest, slowest, most expensive, least expensive things ever? You mean the est? We will call this episode The Est.
1: So I think it's great because I think people speak in hyperbole all the time. Do You want to kick us off? So I want to do the shortest novel of all time.
0: Is it the length of a tweet? (laughs) It is shorter.
1: And when I tell you which one it is, you're going to say, of course, I've heard this many times. The story is, and again, there's some contestation to this story, that someone bet Hemingway, He could not write a novel in six words. And Hemingway came back to it and he said, this is the book. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. And he published this in book form? He did not publish it in book form, but it's considered the shortest novel. What makes a novel a novel, Kurt? You know, that's a great question, which is why some of the people have contested this. However, if you think about it, take this on face value. It's a lot of fun. It's called flash fiction. And they actually have contests every year now.
0: Flash fiction. Why don't they just call it short poetry?
1: Well, they have contests now every year to see who can come up with them and what they're doing. And
0: I like that idea of flash fiction. You know, the challenge that Hemingway was issued reminds me of how Dr. Seuss got started. He was originally challenged by his publisher to write a book using only 50 words that were approved for early age reading comprehension at the time. The publisher thought a lot of the books that were written for early readers were really dull, dry. And he challenged Dr. Seuss, say, listen, these are the only 50 words you can use. Write a book. And they bet 50 bucks. And basically, Dr. Seuss's career was launched Anyone fifty bucks. So the book that Dr. Seuss wrote using only 50 words was Green Eggs and Ham. And believe it or not, Green Eggs and Ham has gone on to sell more than 200 million copies. It was uh, Dr. Seuss's most popular work, and I wish I could say it was the best-selling children's book in history, but it was only one of the best-selling children's books in history.
1: So to wrap up the shortest novel, can you right off here off the top of your head, give me one six words,
0: Flash fiction? Sure. How about "Promise Drivel" and "Hope for Smart?" That's six words, right? Okay. All right, let me think of one real quickly. Why? I didn't ask you. Gin martini? I'll have two, please.
1: That's six words.
0: Oh, man, you're so pleased with yourself right now. <laughs> All right, give me a superlative. We'll move on from the shortest novel. You and your family, Kurt, are quite learned in the area of art and art history. So I am yes. going to ask you what the most expensive piece of art ever sold was, is? It was just this year. And I
1: think it was Leonardo da Vinci. And it was not Mona Lisa, because that's already there, but it's another one. And there's actually a big issue of whether it's actually done by da Vinci or not.
0: There was a lot of research that went into it before they concluded it was da Vinci. It was not this year, but I'm going to give you credit anyway because it was recent and this year has been confusing in a lot of ways so it was da vinci it was Salvatore mundi was the name of the painting they believe da vinci painted it uh, between 1490 and 1500 and in november of 2017 it sold for the mind blowing and most importantly for this episode biggest price ever of 450 million dollars
1: That is insane. Who bought it?
0: You know what? I don't know who bought it, but what's amazing is that it was sold at this auction by a Russian billionaire who had bought it only 12 years earlier in 2005 for $127 million. What happened in the ensuing 12 years that caused it to quadruple in price? Well, first of all, that's one hell of a flip, right?
1: The world's wealth, people got the wealthier, kept getting wealthier and wealthier. Stock prices went through the roof and people started fluctuating to art, which, you know, buying art didn't really come in until like 50 years ago, 40 years ago.
0: Number two on the list, and this supports the point that the art market is going through the roof, at least at the top end of the market, there was a Picasso sold, La Femme d'Alger, and it was sold in 2015 for $179 million, which is a lot. It had been sold previously 18 years earlier, 1997 for $31 million, basically a 6x appreciation in fewer than 20 years. So it's a crazy market.
1: I think number three on that list is the uh, dogs playing poker on Black Velvet.
0: Oh, I should have saved that from college then. I wish I had known that. Yep. Would have been huge. So since, again, I'm going to test some of your art knowledge here, Edward Munch, The Scream, which is a very famous painting, what do you think that sold for the last time it changed hands? Edvard Munch. Edvard, with a V, not a W. Edvard Munch. Yes. The Scream. Last sold in 2012, Kurt.
1: I think it probably went for $93 million.
0: You know what? I'm going to give you give or take $30 million and give you the points because it was $119 million. So, John, let's go. Let's keep in this high culture. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling kind of. This is the most rarefied discussion we have ever had. This is about superlatives.
1: This is haute couture. All right. What is the longest running TV show in American history?
0: I'm going to guess 60 Minutes, Kurt. No, John. The Simpsons. Yes, John. So uh, Hang on a second. Scripted, John, scripted. Okay, you didn't say that because 60 Minutes is still on, The Simpsons is still on, and 60 Minutes started before. So that may have been the poorest phrasing of a question ever on this podcast. I just gave you longest
1: running TV show. What's another superlative of something out there? Biggest, fastest, smallest, largest, fattest,
0: thinnest. Can you tell me the smallest country on earth? Yes. Please do. The Vatican. Liechtenstein. No, it's the Vatican. The uh, population of the
1: Vatican, since you're the best guesser ever? I would say it's probably population 112.
0: So there are 451 people, the last time anyone bothered to count. Now, the biggest country, Kurt, I would like you to answer by landmass as opposed to population. Russia. That is correct. And I would like you to now tell me what percent of the Earth's landmass is taken up by Russia. 16%. 11.5% of the Earth is Russia. That's a big number. By contrast, the U.S. is, if you include Hawaii and Alaska, so I'm not doing the whole contiguous thing. I'm doing the non-contiguous United States. The United States is about 6.5% of the world's landmass. So Russia is big, Kurt. Do you know the second smallest country in the world? Liechtenstein. Now, I always liked Liechtenstein because there were these Olympic skiers, like Heidi or yeah. like a brother and a sister. And they were always in the Olympics. And it was like the whole country is like 17 square miles. And how quick awesome. would it be?
1: Well, you also have Luxembourg and you got Monaco.
0: Those are probably the right? three. And you have other countries like um, the Marshall Islands. St. Kitts and Nevis are very small. But the number two smallest country in the world which makes it the smallest country in the world outside of the Vatican, is a country called Tuvalu. Population about 10,000 people. It's a Pacific Ocean-based country, somewhere between Hawaii and Australia. Crazy. I bet you they did some great artwork. I bet you they did the best artwork. Could you please speak in superlatives, Kurt, this superlative <laughs> so, episode?
1: So let's, that's a great transition. Let's talk about the oldest piece of art. Ever found.
0: Like, do we count like cavemen drawings? Oh yeah. That was art. Yeah. We're going further
1: back than that even.
0: Further back than cavemen drawings. Caveman drawings were like the second oldest. What's older than caveman drawings? Well, it takes place in a cave. It's the cupules in Bimbetka and Draki
1: Chutan in India. These are small structures shaped like a cup, hence the name Cupules made with a handheld hammer and it was considered artwork and these were found to be between now here's quite a range here John 290,000 years BC to 700,000
0: BC i would like to understand the definition of art i know it's a, a whole open-ended metaphysical existential question of what is order babe yeah but what makes that art cuz i'm sticking with the caveman drawings
1: because they actually made a design, and they did it for, we're thinking, for their own pleasure. Didn't have the utilitarian, utilitarian product
0: could drink from them, or because they're called cupules. I know. What if, wanna, what if you woke up in the middle of the night and said, hey, mommy, I want a cupule of water?
1: Yeah, you could lick it, I guess, and have some of it, but then it would be, you know, even better because it's functional art.
0: Do you know what the highest IQ in history, the highest IQ recorded was? I'm going to give you a hint. It's neither you nor me. In fact, it's probably not even you plus me. Oh, geez. So that's really high then. Uh, Uh, Yes, that's really really high. (laughs) Before you guess, I'll give you a couple data points. Stephen Hawking, 160. Yeah. Gary Kasparov, 194. So I have two questions for you. What number represents the highest IQ ever recorded? And then who was the person? I'll let you off the hook for the second question because you're not going to get it. What is the highest IQ number ever recorded?
1: I, I, for some reason, I thought you couldn't go above 200, but I'm going to guess you can. And I'll do the boiling temperature of Fahrenheit,
0: 212.
1: 263. Amen, Celeste, Colley. So, John... Tell me about this person that's got the highest
0: IQ of all time. Is it a male, female? Who, who is this person? Yeah, so Aiden Celeste Pauly is a male, and he's actually a kid born in 1999 and is a Singaporean child prodigy. He beats everyone in words with friends, I'm sure. <laughs> Listen to this. At the age of nine, Kurt, he was able to recite Pi to 518 decimal places and could remember the periodic table. Sticking to oldest art, John. (laughs) We're going back to oldest art? Because you were on
1: it before. So I gave you oldest piece of art, but give me the oldest writing.
0: That would be on... So back when man learned agriculture and was able to produce more crops than they could store, they would bring their excess to a public storage, kind of like a mini storage facility, (laughs) <laughs> and they would get a receipt, which was a cornice, a clay cornice, where there were numbers pressed onto the outside of the cornice, and that not was not
1: numbers point. but shapes. Yes, and what was that called, John? It's called cuneiform.
0: Cuneiform. I couldn't. There think, you I go. Cornice. I yeah. said cornice, but I meant cuneiform. That was close, by the way. Uh, good. dates back to 3,400 BC,
1: and then it became from being receipts which you're right was the first use of it good job for what kurt corn
0: <laughs> exactly so said another way i was right other than not saying cuneiform i said cornice i'm not sure it was for corn i think it might have been for wheat though i said it was for crops okay and then it became excuse me, excuse me. you are not properly giving me my due there i, just... I did i said that was amazing and the no, 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 no. it was the doing. most amazing <laughs> it was right. the most amazing i get a lot of credit for that i'm taking it if you're not giving it,
1: I keep forgetting that this is a superlative episode. Okay, give me something else.
0: You should be able to come up with an answer that at least in the ballpark here. When you were running the Harlem Globetrotters, what player could jump the highest just from a standing still vertical jump? And how high could that player jump? We called him Hops, <laughs> <laughs> and he had he was a beer
1: maker. I think he had. I want to say he could go straight up 27
0: inches. Okay. I guarantee you there was a Harlem Globetrotter that could jump much higher than that. Uh, Because
1: that was 27 inches off the ground. No,
0: I think that's how you measure things when you're jumping. 42 maybe it was. (laughs) So let me get this straight. You had the groundbreaking idea to measure vertical jumps from the ground. Brilliant. I know. Incredible. So the all-time highest jump is a man by the name of Brett Williams, who trained for three years, Kurt, not to join the Harlem Globetrotters, although he could have. Yeah, he would have been hops-fussed. He would have been hopsessed. <laughs> in, in 2019, he did a vertical jump, Kurt, of the mind-boggling height of five feet, five inches. What? Which is 65 inches. That's like you having a hop- jetpack on you. You want to talk about the hops? That's hops. Holy cow. And he was not related to Dick Fosbury, was he? The Fosbury flop. That was <laughs> the high jump, not the vertical jump, but well done. Dick Fosbury. So if you were running the Harlem Globetrotters today, I would urge you to give Brett Williams a call and say, hey, Brett, let's bring those hops to our team. For sure. That's unbelievable. And if I were running the Harlem Globetrotters today, I would put him on the Washington Generals to make for a much more competitive game.
1: And I, when I had to do my vertical leak test, I think they were able to get one credit card between (laughs) the ground and my feet.
0: Yeah, I jump like that, too. I think if I were to be tested, I would only get my heels off the ground, but my toes would still be (laughs) touching.
1: I'm going to get an S for you, John. The biggest diamond ever. This is to appeal to all of our people who like jewelry, both male and female. It's called the Cullinan. The Cullinan, you're going to know it when I tell you after it gets cut. Uncut, it's called the Cullinan. Okay. 3,106 carats, weighing in at a massive 1.33 pounds of diamond, John. 1905 in South Africa, and it was named after the mine owner, whose name's Sir Thomas Cullinan, of course. He then sold it to a local government, and that local government made it a gift to King Edward Seventh. For his birthday.
0: Quite a gift.
1: They were shipping it over to England, and Edward VII was worried it would be stolen because it was such big fanfare. So he had a replica made and put in a big box, and the replica went on the ship and brought out a lot of fanfare, where the real one went in an unmarked box.
0: Well, this is like 13 or Ocean's 12 when they were doing the Fabergé egg, but they this is the whole same idea.
1: And... They then cut it into nine large and about 100 small stones, the largest of which is called the Star of Africa. And that is 530 carats. There's also a Star of Africa, too, which is like 300 and something carats. And all of these are in the crown jewels of England. Incredible. The Star of Africa is in the sector
0: and the Star of Africa 2 is in the crown. How cool is that? Well, here's my question, though. When were the crown jewels made? Because I think this diamond was discovered in the early 1900s. Can you imagine discovering a diamond that weighs more than one pound? No. That is a diamond that weighs more than a pound, and they chose to give it away. Did they get value back in this diplomatic gesture? Good question. I do not know. Well, I'll tell you what. But
1: Edward VII didn't last too much longer, so I don't know. All right, John, we're running out of time. So give me one more good superlative.
0: What planet, Kurt, is the farthest away from Earth or possibly the furthest away from Earth? Because I've always gotten those confused in our solar system. Uranus. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that we both laughed at that is just so pitiful for both of us. Oh, my goodness. So it's not Pluto because Pluto got designated no planet. What do toilet paper and the Star Trek Enterprise have in common? They both circle your anus looking for Klingons. (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So you're correct that back in 1930, when Pluto was discovered, it was thought to be Pluto. But we all know that a few years back, Pluto was demoted to dwarf planet status, which is not planet status. And and Goofy came in
1: goofy? Goofy, as in Pluto and goofy Disney characters, dwarfs, elves.
0: That is the most Disney-esque comment of this podcast. Yeah. So (laughs) it's Neptune, which was temporarily replaced by Pluto for about 76 years. And Neptune is almost 2.8 billion miles away from Earth, which is really, really far. Can you get there in one Tesla charge or not? <laughs> <I do> not
1: <laughs> Here's know. one for you, John. And uh, it'll be my last entry, the lastest entry into this. Can you tell me the smelliest cheeses in the world? Camembert. No,
0: it was, you're close. It's the one we always knew, Limburger. Oh, that is some smelly, stinky cheese. So there How would any- you want to eat that? I don't know. And
1: the reason why it's so smelly is that it's got a bacteria on the outside of the cheese. And we actually had a guy once that was we were supposed to dress up and do this thing. And he took Limburger cheese and rubbed it all over him so he wouldn't get tackled or abused. Oh, that's such a good
0: idea. Did people tackle him? No, they stayed the hell away from well, him. Well, that makes no sense because people eat Limburger cheese. They put it in their mouth. It basically smells like ass. And you're like, OK, I'll put that in my mouth but they're not willing to tackle a guy covered in it?
1: By the way, that reminds me of something my brother told me. In the Boy Scouts growing up, we used to play this game. Things were a little different in the 70s. We met in a church, not a church building, so it wasn't the actual edifice of praying. And it was their congregational place where they got together for meetings, and it was a hard surface with a stage. We played a game called English Bulldog, where the older kids would stay in the middle And the younger kids had to run from one side to the other without getting tackled. (laughs) And the last couple had like 30 guys ready to beat the crap out of them as this poor little kid had to run across. We played it
0: every week. English Bulldog. We ripped our uniforms, everything. There's no smelly in that story. Okay, so the other two smelly cheeses are Epoisse de
1: Bourgogne, which is obviously from Bourgogne area in France. It is so smelly, John, that they have officially legally banned it on French public. (laughs) You may not bring it on the bus or trains with you. It's against the law.
0: We should get some. We should have a test.
1: Well, I think we should get this, too, because I'm very excited about the name. The Stinking Bishop. (laughs) (laughs) It is outside of London, and it's washed in fermented pear juice. And I think that's how it gets its... Number
0: four on the list is Fremenda Cheese. Which is the cheese from Munda. <laughs> have you... We have
1: to wrap up now, no, I gotta, I gotta ask
0: you one more. I gotta ask you one more, Kurt. I'm gonna set you up. This is gonna be an easy one. The strongest animal on earth compared to its body weight, the gorilla or the dung beetle? <laughs> I would have said an ant, so I'm gonna go with dung beetle. Believe it or not, the dung beetle, Kurt, can lift. 1,100 times its own body weight, 1,141 times its own body weight. That is the human equivalent of pulling six double-decker buses filled with people. So cheers to the dung beetle, the strongest animal on earth.
1: I just have a problem, animal cruelty of how they get that. I think the way they do that is they put things on top of it until they crush (laughs)
0: No, 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 Kurt. They observe it in nature, Kurt. They do not put a bunch of double-decker buses behind a dung beetle, Kurt. (laughs) It is observed in nature. No animals were hurt during the learning of that particular fact. (laughs) I I like that. The dung beetle. This has, without question been the best episode we've ever recorded. You were as good as I've ever heard you. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. As good as I've ever heard you is not a superlative. Oh, all right. You were the best ever, John. Kurt, you are the best you've ever been. You are the most, the fastest, the smartest, the sharpest, the quickest, and the correctest. And you are the best host, co-host that anyone could ever hope for. No, you are. No, you are. Goodbye, everyone. Listen, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We will be back next week with another episode of Smart Dribble. That will be really good, but this is the best. All right. Have a great week. We promise the dribble. We hope for the smart. Goodbye, everybody. Peace out.